Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to this week's United Nations of Horror. I'm Mike Anarino from Chicago, Illinois, joined by... Becky in the UK. And Lucar Dragomir from Atlanta, Georgia in the US. And today, for our throat-cutting slasher series, we'll be discussing a more modern slasher film in the form of 2013's You're Next. But first, I want to get to the uh, what we've been watching, because yeah, we didn't do that last week. And I know, Becky, you watched a movie called Julia's Eyes? Yes. Um, I watched Julia's Eyes, which is directed by somebody called Guillaume Morales, and it was produced by Guillermo del Toro. And it's Ooh. yes, and it stars um, the woman from The Orphanage, which was also produced by Guillermo del Toro. And um, I, I really, really enjoyed it. It's very tonally inconsistent. Um, because of the different influences, I think, upon the film is part um, Jello. I know it's a Spanish film, um, but in terms of the influences, um, Peeping Tom and The Eyes of Laura Mars, I would say. Um, obviously, things like The Orphanage, Guillermo del Toro's films. It, it doesn't really kind of gel in a way, but it also really works. It, it's, it's quite strange, and I really, really, like I say, enjoyed it, but I could see why people maybe wouldn't. And I think, like, Mike, you will either love it or hate it. I'm not sure which. Um, yeah, it sounds like one of those movies where it's like, I can't tell what exactly is that's working about this movie, but it's just appealing to me in a certain way. No, I, I get you. That's what, And I thought of you. Like, I thought literally, like, you know, like, you'd, like I say, you'd either love it or hate it. And basically... Um, it begins with a woman who is completely blind and she is attempting to commit suicide and she's talking to the room around her as if there's somebody there and the camera keeps focusing on shadows in this basement and it's pretty creepy and all of a sudden the um, stool is kicked away from her and obviously she is, you know, she dies and then we are taken to her twin sister and this is Julia and she has the same um condition whereby she is slowly going blind but the um the medical condition is kind of exacerbated by stress and she 
is investigating her sister's death because she doesn't believe that she would have actually killed herself. And at the same time, she's starting to see things in terms of she knows that there's somebody there, a presence, but she can't quite see that person. And it straddles that kind of is it supernatural or not line, and it goes down a certain route towards the end. But um, like I say, it's a really it was very reminiscent as well of the um, the last will. I think it's called the Last Will and Testament of Rosalind Lee. I don't know if you've seen that one. No, I haven't seen that one, but this premise seems really interesting. It does. It is. It's like I say. It's very similar to films like The Orphanage, where you're not quite sure what's going on. Like I said, there's loads of things in there tonally, and um, it's very kind of slow burn. Uh, it's a, it's very much a character piece. You know, the relationship that she has with her husband, as you know, her condition worsens, and like I say, she's investigating her sister and ha- what actually happens at the end. I didn't expect. So that was quite interesting. Um, I expected to kind of, you know, go down one road and it didn't. But, I mean, I would definitely recommend it. And like I said, it's produced by Guillermo del Toro. So that probably gives you an indication of what type of film. I mean, another one I would say it was kind of similar to in terms of the style and the slow burn narrative would be uh, The Devil's Backbone. I've heard so much about The Devil's Backbone. I I really need to watch that. I put it on the super list. So I, I, I may bump that one up because... If you're talking a supernatural slow burn that's quite scary, has an amazing story. It's set against the backdrop of the Spanish Civil War, and it's 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 an amazing film. Really, it's I think it's probably in my top three of kind of supernatural films. Right on. I know when Del Toro does movies uh, in in Spanish in his native language, it, it's always awesome. It's yes. when he gets to America that things. You, a little wishy-washy, but... Yeah, I, I mean, it's like any other director. Like, I enjoy some of Del Toro's English stuff and some of them not so much. It, it just it depends on the film, you know? Yeah, and like Devil's Backbone, you know, it's about children. And it just in, in a similar way that I think Stephen King captures that notion of childhood so well in, you know, certain novels, Glimmer Del Toro seems to have that kind of knack. And it's, just, it's, a, it's a kind of beautiful story. And like I say, it is scary. It's fantastic. And this definitely um, draws from it. So I, I would I would recommend this, but I don't think it'll be for everybody. Okay, right on. Well, sounds interesting. Yeah, after watching Wreck, I'm definitely more interested in seeing uh, just more Spanish language horror, whether it be from Spain or Mexico, you know, um, I've seen a little bit of witching and bitching and uh, found that one to be pretty interesting. Well, next up, uh, I know, Lucard, you saw a movie that I saw years ago, uh, if it's the one I'm thinking of, called Devil. Yeah, Devil is apparently based on a story from M. Night Shyamalan, and uh, it's not directed by him or anything like that. Um, I think it's written by fact, him, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's based on the story he did, but the... The screenplay is done by Brian Nelson, and the movie is directed by John Eric Dowdle. And it was released back in 2010. I actually caught it on Netflix. And it's interesting because the main premise of this film is that this group of strangers, they get on an elevator, and one of them is the devil. And besides one of them being the devil himself, all of these strangers are not exactly who they seem to be. So it's sort of a mystery in a lot of ways, and a good majority of the film actually takes place in the elevator. 
Uh, I thought it was pretty good, pretty compelling. Um, I was able to figure out who the devil was pretty quickly, so I guess it's a little predictable maybe if you've seen a lot of horror films. But for what it was, I enjoyed it, and you can never beat it for free on Netflix. Have either of you seen this film? Yeah, I'm not a. I'm personally not a big fan of it. I think I don't know. It's it's okay, I guess. Like it's it's one of those movies I'd say. Yeah, you can watch it on TV or something if there's really nothing else on, and you won't have a terrible time, but huh, it's okay. How about you, Becky? Yeah, I mean, stars a guy that's not Tom Hardy but looks just like Tom Hardy, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. No, oh, my God, you're <laughs> right. Because <laughs> um, he's in, I think he's in Prometheus as well. He is, yeah. But, um, uh, Chris Messina? No, yes, no? No, 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 that's the other guy. Um, you're talking uh, about uh, Logan Green? Yes, that's him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and uh, well, same. Like it was quite—I don't know—like shallow in terms of storytelling. Like when the twist came about, I was kind of like, "Oh, we couldn't see that one coming." But yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I thought it was—it was, you know, a fun watch. You know, I definitely had uh, a good time with it. I quite liked the security guard and his kind of religious background, and you know, when they were watching the tape. His kind of oh yeah, he was getting freaked out. Yeah, that that bit was really fun. And it also, I just remember when it came out that incident with Beyonce's sister in the lift and um, Jay Z, and there was just a poster instead of Devil, it said Solange. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize whatever that. her name that's, was. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it made me laugh. In terms of single location horror, I think it's it's a fun watch. It's also a very short film. It's eighty minutes. So. Wow. You know, not long at all for a film nowadays. No. But I will agree that it's, you know, it's not anything groundbreaking or anything like that. But it's it's passable, I think. Yeah. Awesome. Well, next up, actually speaking of Guillermo del Toro, I uh, recently saw the director's cut of Mimic. Now, have either one of you guys seen this movie? No, I have not. I have years ago, but I remember that I was, you know, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been years since I had seen it, and I had seen the theatrical cut. I don't really know the big differences, but basically what this movie is, three years to the prior of the beginning, these scientists, or I guess they're called entomologists, which I have got no idea what that means, but basically they created this insect to kill cockroaches that were carrying some sort of deadly disease. I can't quite remember what the exact name of it was, and they're essentially, they're supposed to die out after a certain amount of months. Again, it's three years later. And they they start to come back, and they've evolved and breeded in a way where they've become, in a way, I still, I would be honest, I don't quite understand why they're all big and monstrous, but they are. And what I like about this movie is that, okay, so the first half of it, it's what I love about, like, true science fiction. It's a real cool, slow, like, science-y, sci-fi film, and I was really digging it. I thought it was really cool. Uh, I don't like the second half. It just kind of becomes, okay, we're running around in the sewers for monsters, and it doesn't do a single fucking thing new. And I thought it was kind of boring for a movie that's (laughs) two hours long to have the entire second half just be generic, just running around from giant monsters. I don't like... It's a shame, because I thought it started out really well. And I was really into it. Like, this is exactly the type of sci-fi that I love, but... It really lost me in that second half, and it's got an ending that's so just lame. Like when it comes to credits, it's like, oh, is is that it? Uh, I'm curious to go back and read what differences there were in the theatrical cut and the director's cut. But I know it being released by Miramax, you know, 
the wine scenes will fuck up your movie in a second. So I totally buy that maybe at some point this was an awesome movie, but as it stands now, it's okay. And I actually, because, you know, again, it being Miramax, it got a couple of straight to DVD movies. Uh, and I, I bought the triple pack uh, of the Blu-ray, which it's like, it was like five bucks at Walmart. It was in the, the $5 bin. So it's a pretty decent price. And the sequels, I expected them to be really bad. And I mean, like, because uh, Mimic 2 is, is kind of lame. Like, it's not as horrible as you'd expect it to be, but it's not very good. But, like, Mimic 3 is actually kind of decent, where some of the writing kind of sucks, but it's 70 minutes, so it gets out way shorter than yeah, Del Toro's two-hour movie. It knows what it is, and it does this really cool thing of, instead of showing the monster, where part two was much more of a monster movie, which was kind of cool and fun, uh, but this one is more, uh, part three is much more a rear window kind of thing, where we get this guy, and he's in his room, and he kind of watches this apartment building, and he... And one of the tenants has something to do with these bugs. And it's a real... It's really, really cool. Uh, Again, it's got some bad writing, but I found myself kind of having fun with it. If anything, I'd say Part 3 is kind of the better movie out of all of them. Now, have you guys seen the sequels? I've not, but I was going to ask if you'd seen the uh, film Bug by William Friedkin of The Exorcist from 2006. I love that. I adore that movie. I love yeah, that movie so much. Okay, that's definitely more along the lines of what you were saying you, you prefer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, this sounds really cool because, I mean, the, the sci-fi element, so it's really, it sounds a shame that the first one sort of kind of um, loses that in the second half. Exactly. Because yeah, when starting out, like, when it started out, I was, I fell so much in love with it, and it just kind of lost me in that second half, and that's why, although I would say the first half of the first movie is better than anything in the sequels, part three is just kind of the better movie, because it kind of starts out um, as this kind of not-in-your-face-with-the-monster stuff. It's much more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a much more... You know, I'll say slow burn, I guess. Uh, I thought it was just a much better thriller, in a sense. I thought it was... Again, it is still a straight-to-DVD horror movie, and it's got a lot of those straight-to-DVD Miramax tropes. But yeah. I just think it sticks by what it is the whole time, and that's what I dug about it. It knows what it is, and it sets up its style and film, and it never really left that. Plus... It's actually got a, to me, I thought I had a great third act where you bring in Lance Henriksen and he's awesome in it. Like, I really, oh, I really awesome. love the third act. Yeah, anytime you can get Lance Henriksen, I'm, I'm pretty excited, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah, and he's awesome in it. So I would, I would, I would say don't go out of your way to see Mimic, but if it's on, check it out because there's st- definitely entertainment to be had there. But if you do watch it and you are interested in watching the sequels, Honestly, you can skip two. I'd say watch three, though, because I, I quite liked it. Well, very cool. I mean, it, it sounds like something I would like to maybe check out at some point, even even with its flaws, just because I'm always looking for sort of horror sci-fi, you know, and it it's something that's so hard to do right, 
like that it is. combination of horror sci-fi. There's there's a lot of attempts, but few really good ones in my opinion. Yeah, and I, it feels like I feel like when it comes to sci-fi, sci-fi is just a, a term thrown out to anything that has spaceships or future or alien in it, and I feel like we lose that that science part of science fiction. Like some you sometimes you get stuff like Ex Machina, which is true science fiction, but the, uh, people when they think of science fiction, they think of Star Wars and stuff, and it's like, nah, that's not really science fiction. Yeah, it's not always the case. It doesn't always have to have ships. The Thing, one of my favorite films of all time, The Thing is just a masterpiece, uh, particularly the the John Carpenter version. Well, next up, we have a movie that you watched, Becky, called In My Skin, which I don't think I've ever heard of. So In My Skin is regarded as part of the New French Extremity movement. It's from 2002 and um, directed by, written by, and also starring a woman called Marina Divan. And she's a bit of a kind of tour de force. She was the co-writer of, uh, I think it's called Eight Women, which is quite critically acclaimed. And she also directed the horror film Dark Touch, which was on Netflix US before it was taken from us um, over here in the UK. She's worked within horror kind of um, a little bit, but this is very arty. I wouldn't say... It's very difficult when you kind of uh, collectively term films New French Extremity because it's really uh, removed from films like Frontiers or um, Martyrs, uh, things like that. It's not that kind of uh, torture, you know, that kind of body horror. Like I say, it's very artistic. And basically it follows a woman who has um, an accident at a party. She injures her leg and she is disfigured and she then embarks upon a series of um self mutilation basically she is cutting into her flesh um eating part of her flesh she's booking oh. she's booking hotel rooms out um to be away from her partner not to be with other people but to literally chomp on her own flesh oh fun and like I say, it's very artistic. It's very similar if you've seen the film Trouble Every Day by Claire Denise, which is, Never. again, well, that that's from 2001. That's another French film, and that is very much, again, um, kind of conflated with New French Extremity. But, again, it's an art mm-hmm. film. It's a slow burn. And, uh, I mean, out of the two, I mean, I, I enjoy this film. I have it in my collection. But uh, Trouble Every Day is a masterpiece. And... Claire Denise, um, she, basically her films have very, very little dialogue. It's all in terms of, you know, the, the cinematography, how she kind of communicates everything. And uh, Trouble of a Day um, basically follows a man and a woman who have undergone some scientific experiments to uh, look at their libido. And it has left them with an insatiable appetite for flesh, which is um, basically mixed up with their sexual appetite. So it's them trying to control it. So they will, you know, lure people. And it's not, it's, it's, it's graphic, it's gruesome, but it isn't um, over in terms of, you know, they're not vampires or anything like that. It's extremely subtle in that regard. And it's an amazing film. It really stays with you. It's very much like gets under your skin, <laughs> in my skin. And... Out of the two, like I say, that is is my favourite. It's got an amazing um, title song as well by Tinder Sticks. 
but in my skin is a fascinating watch and basically it, it kind of looks at the the fracture between mind and body and as she progresses and becomes a much more um kind of engrossed with these acts of self-mutilation the actual form and style of the film changes to the point where we have um the screen cuts into several different sections that are all filming different things and it, you know it's a really interesting watch as as you know she kind of goes on this strange um psychological journey but it's very much also kind of body horror so it's an interesting film and it's definitely not everybody's cup of tea it's more horror in terms of art film than new french extremity if your knowledge of all you know because i think new french extremity can be quite subjective if if you're looking at that in terms of films like you know martyrs um and you know high tension things like that then this is very different it sounds interesting it I was going to say the same thing, like the the concept, like I was thinking like zombies or, or vampires almost, but in a more like kind of subtle, realistic way from the sounds of it. Kind of. Um, subtle isn't the the way I, I would have described it listening to that. No, that's the thing. It's very like it really makes you flinch more so than, you know, zombie films or whatever would for me because right. it's so little um, – tiny acts like i say she's like you know lifting flaps of skin up and sucking on them and things like that oh my god yeah um and then it gets kind of bizarre and arty like i say towards the end but it's it's a fascinating film like i say it's not for everybody and it's very slow in some regards uh but it's it's a psychological horror i guess you could say as well as you know an example of body horror which there are many films that kind of Look at both. I mean, I say it's very much influenced by filmmakers like Cronenberg. Yeah, and, he's big um, into body horror, yeah. Yeah, but with his also, he he brings in that kind of psychological element as well. Um, I'm thinking films like Crash, but I would say that maybe a little bit of Lynch. I don't know, but like I say, a really interesting film, and I think it's definitely worth checking out. Right on. Well, next up, we got a film that I think is going to be the darkest film out of anything we talk about today. That's uh, Lucard. I know you saw the Adams family. <laughs> yeah, I actually saw it in uh, originally in 1991 when it came out when I was a Is child. In the uh, 91? Oh, yeah, 91, yeah, man. It was 98. I was a kid. I was interested to watch this again because, you know, it was on Netflix. And I don't know that I would have gone out of my way to, to see it otherwise, but I was really pleasantly surprised just by how it held up. The basic plot is. Uh, you have Gomez and Uncle Fester, and they have apparently they had like a, a falling out some years ago. So uh, Uncle Fester has disappeared for a number of years. Who they think is now Uncle Fester shows up on their doorstep. He's actually being manipulated by someone who is supposed to be his mother. And I won't give the whole plot away. I, I kind of felt like psycho when it came to this mother, you know, someone who can just totally manipulate their son. But... Yeah, it's it's a fun film. It's, you know, it's very silly. Uh, on the website I'm on, it listed as a fantasy comedy film, but it's got some kind of black comedy about it, too. Have either of you ever seen this one? Not since I was a kid, like a young, young kid. Yeah. Yeah, same. <laughs> it is very kooky and, you know, kind of uh, childish in a lot of parts, but it actually sort of reminds me a little bit, and this is kind of strange but the tone of it reminds me a bit of tim burton's batman and maybe it's because these two films were sort of close to the same time period i think 
the original Batman was 89, maybe. Yeah, 89. So, I don't know, if you're just looking for something sort of laid back and fun to watch that has some horror elements, I would check this one out. Right, um, actually for years I thought that that movie was directed by um, Tim Burton. It wasn't later until I found out it was Barry Sonnenfeld, which is still weird to me. Yeah, it does feel like a Tim Burton film in a lot of ways, doesn't it? Yeah. It does, yeah, absolutely. Next up, I think we'll finally get to our main feature, a film that I'm very excited to talk about. Uh, I thought you were going to talk about Batman vs. Superman, Mike. No, we're going to talk about a good movie today. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about 2013's You're Next. I just want you all to know how much it means to us that you're all here. Thanks to Mom and Dad. Beautiful. Just a perfect day. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy food and help us to do our part with kind words and loving deeds. Amen. Amen. It gets dark, we go home. What is that? Now, the film is directed by Adam Wingard and written by Simon Barrett, the two of which have worked on some films such as The Guest, which is so good, and then A Horrible Way to Die, which is, you know, it, it exists, and the upcoming American remake of I Saw the Devil, which the original is awesome, and nobody's asking for that American remake. No, and, I'm interested to see what they do with it, though. Me too, because I like them, but I'm also really worried about that. Yeah, I'm no, no, really exactly worried. the same. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's sort of the... I'm, I always get that sort of worried feeling now when they try to remake anything, to be perfectly honest with you, because it seems like they usually don't do it well. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. But staying on a positive note, this the movie we are covering is is quite awesome. Yes, it is. And it was... It's weird, because it, it looks like a cheap movie... But, I mean, it was produced on a budget of $1 million, and I feel like they make it look like something I would see in the theaters. Like, it doesn't seem like something I'd see straight to DVD. And it actually, it went on to gross $26.8 million worldwide, which doesn't sound like a lot, 
But that's um, it made 26 times its budget, which to a studio saying that that's like pretty decent. That's a decent profit right there. Because, I mean, when it came out, it really was it was a Lionsgate and they're notorious for fucking up marketing. And so it was really mismarketed. And I think it opened at like eighth place or something. It might have even been 10th place at the box office. Like it, it just came in one. I remember seeing trailers for this film, but it it wasn't really like, I mean, it just it sort of disappeared, like you said, right after that. Mm hmm. And it was unfortunate because I thought the trailer was quite interesting for this film. And, you know, I haven't seen it in, until we were going to cover it for this show. So uh, I think it is sort of one of those almost forgotten kind of gems. Yeah, I agree with that. I remember when this came out, it had been a, a, a kind of festival darling for years. And I, I hadn't seen a trailer and I was really excited to see it. So I was really pumped for it when it came out. The idea for the film came when Adam Wingard told uh, Simon Barrett that he wanted to make a home invasion movie, claiming that those were the only films that still truly frightened him. And after that, Barrett began writing, noting that he was inspired by Agatha Christie mysteries, as well as a combination of screwball comedies and chamber mysteries. And I'm going to be honest, I've got no idea what a chamber mystery is. I've. Do you guys know what that means? Am I just stupid? I'm not sure either, to be perfectly honest. Becky, how about you? Do you know? I'm just having a little bit of a uh, <laughs> quick Google. <laughs> okay. Ah, there you go. Um, I can't see anything for it. I have no idea. So he's just making yeah. shit up now. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would say it's very much, in terms of the comedy elements, to, um, as I'm sure Mark will be happy about, to reference the old Dark House. With the dysfunctional family as well. Oh, you know what? I never thought of it like that, but I, I'd have to agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. This could definitely be put in our old Dark House category for sure. Yeah, I can't think of any hats in it, though. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I Are don't you? think there, there are masks, but there are no hats. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you could count the masks, oh, which some of those masks are pretty cool. They are, but I don't think it does it for him as much as the hats. Yeah, <laughs> well, nothing beats a hat. <laughs> now, although the film was completed in 2011... And screened at several film festivals that same year, including like TIFF and South by Southwest. Uh, it didn't get an official release until September 4th of 2013. It kept going through. It kept changing a lot of hands and was in production limbo for a lot of time. Similar to something like um, Cabin in the Woods. And yeah, it just kind of came and went in theaters. But mm, has, yeah, September is not a really great time for horror movie releases either. Yeah, it really isn't. I mean, it, it seems like it was so close to October at that point, they could have just waited a month and made even more money than they did, to be perfectly honest. Wouldn't you think that? But studios keep releasing all these horror movies in, like, March and June, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why is The Conjuring coming out in the summer? It's a fucking yeah, horror movie. It's very strange. Like, you it. would think that October would just be, like, the month of horror, but... Uh, yeah, I don't understand the studio release system, and, and I think that's unfortunately why a lot of horror films don't make a lot of money and it's you know it really is the studio's own fault yeah it's interesting though that you mentioned that it was obviously uh, made a lot earlier around about the time of cabin in the woods and the fact that cabin in the woods is a very meta horror film and i've heard people class this as meta but the people say that it's not so it's quite interesting that they both i think it's got elements of it for sure um you know touching on our discussion of resolution but it's quite interesting to think that, like I say, Cabin in the Woods and Your Next came out 
or, or were made at you know a very similar time and that they're both mm-hmm. they both have elements of meta does that do you think that's kind of I'd, I'd agree with you on that. I think it's got because actually, just the other day, I was talking about this movie to somebody, and I said that it's it'd make for a really good double feature with Scream, but not because it's meta, because I think it just mixes horror and comedy both really well, very naturally, and nails both elements. But I just I, I saw it. I know we were talking about it in the in the group chat, and I just see it more as somebody is okay. These people have seen slasher movies and it's more of a natural kind of evolution of the kind of slasher dynamic i don't really see it as very self-aware i guess i don't know but i i see what who people who say it's meta i kind of see where they're coming from but i don't know if i could go that far i think there are maybe some meta elements in there as you said becky just because like i mean i'm i'm thinking of the the part where they get sort of the the 80s music you know and I was like, all right, that's like really sort of paying homage to those sort of 80s slasher films. Am I right on that or am I, am I totally misinterpreting meta, do you think? No, you're no, no, wrong. I, <laughs> no, I think so. And especially like I think um, they do a very similar thing in The Guest in terms of action films. That's true. Yeah. I would and consider yeah. that – I would consider The Guest a little bit more – a little bit more on the nose as far as what it's referencing than your next is. That's the thing. And I don't think it's as kind of complex in terms of the meta elements than, say, resolution, which, you know, the, I, the whole narrative is completely constructed around, around you know, a meta kind of, like I say, knowledge and what we were talking about, that, that knowledge and relationship between the audience and the film. And, yes, there are things in this, like I say, that are meta that – we would appreciate and watch, uh, you know, as as horror fans, we would appreciate and understand more so a pick up, like you say, with the music than say, if I went with a friend to the cinema to watch this, that they would just watch and they might watch the odd horror, but they wouldn't pick up on any, any of that necessarily. Right. So you could class those elements of meta, but it's not an out and out meta film, I think. Yeah, it's, it's definitely sort of, um, I guess, subversive would be the, the word. Yes. Yeah, I think it's interesting that watching this as a film buff or just a, a horror fan, you're really going to appreciate it. But, I mean, when I was away at school and we would have, you know, Friday nights just in a dorm drinking or something. And it, it always came down to putting something on on Netflix. And typically it was a horror movie. And it was on different on several different places where I, I showed people this movie. And they did just really latched onto it. Like they walked out. I mean, they when it was over, they were like, wow, that was really awesome and some of them have told me yeah i showed that to my friends and they showed it to people and i think it's it hits it's really cool how it hits those different types of audiences but everybody kind of gets it now to move on to the actual story of the film the film opens with a couple a middle-aged man and a young 20 something year old woman being murdered in their home out in the woods soon after presumably the next day a family arrives for a get-together in a neighboring vacation home in the secluded Missouri wilderness. Aaron, played by Sharni Vinson, accompanies her boyfriend Crispin, played by A.J. Bowen, to the family outing. The two are joined by Crispin's parents, Aubrey and Paul, played by Barbara Crampton and Rob Morin. Okay, now I'm, gonna, I'm about to get into a lot of names. It's going to be, become easier to kind of follow because they don't all make it to the end. Yeah, as you would expect in a slasher, right? Yeah. As well as Crispin's older brother, Jake, and his wife, Kelly, 
played by Joan Swanberg and Margaret Laney. His younger brother, Felix, and his girlfriend, Z, played by Nicholas Tucci and Wendy Glenn. And his younger sister, Amy, and her boyfriend, Tariq, played by Amy Simetz and Ty West. And you might be thinking, Ty West isn't an actor. And you're correct. He is not. He, he is not, but don't worry. He, he doesn't exactly stick around very long. He's not in the, in the movie for very long. Uh, and, like, strange sounds and sibling rivalry plague the household, but everything is seemingly safe. Now, how did you guys feel about this, this opening, kind of the first 15 or so minutes, where we get to know the family before the chaos starts? Did you like them, dislike them? Did you relate to them? Were you bored? I'll, t- I'll toss it off to you first, Lucard. Well, at first, the college professor, I'll mention him, I sort of found it funny that, like, you know, he's having sex with this college student, and he finishes really quickly, and she just looks so disappointed. I was yeah. like, oh, man. <laughs> like, I don't think this is going to last. And then, you know, she goes down and is murdered, and, and obviously, you know, you don't see anything with him, but we'll talk about that later. But uh, Crispin, you know, I thought he seemed like a good guy. I was like, all right, you go chubby bearded man, you know? <laughs> so I liked him, and, you know, I thought, Initially, the the rest of the family seemed pretty normal. You know, they were sitting around watching UFC and having a few beers. They just seemed like a pretty normal family to me. Firstly, like going back to that initial scene with the, with the college professor, that was quite interesting. Um, I thought for the same reasons. And then that song starts. <laughs> as I discussed with Mike earlier in the week, all week. Um, but I feel you. <laughs> um, but with the family, I mean, I fucking hate Crispin. I just, I don't know why she's, I don't know what she sees in him at all. <laughs> from, from the beginning. It did seem weird. Like, I, I wondered that too. Yeah, like, what is she really doing with this guy? Yeah. yeah. And I, I just didn't, it wasn't like he was this, um, you know, he's an academic, you know, as we, as we find out. And, you know, it wasn't as if he was, you know, a wonderfully enigmatic presence. <laughs> and it just, there was something off about him right from the start. So if we're talking about the narrative, without getting into spoilers, I knew, you know, straight away I kind of figured stuff out. And especially in terms of how her character develops, I just couldn't see why she would be attracted to him at all. But in terms of the family, I think um that it was so comical that kind of opening you know the few opening scenes where we're introduced to them and i could really relate in terms of when they're arguing um before everything kind of really kicks off in terms of the the horror um or you know action elements of the film you know the way that your siblings can rile you up like nobody else oh yes definitely um which did make me laugh so i thought it was very kind of even though it was comical and a bit exaggerated in some respects it didn't feel spoofy it was very much kind of realistic at its core so you know i appreciated that good morning good morning hey buddy you ever see kangaroos fight you almost hit my face reminds me when you were a kid you should have seen him no yeah yeah he's like a little like a little sleepy chubby angel really yeah yeah he's only a little chubby this is only a little chubby. I have a round face. It's yeah. not, it doesn't mean I'm fat. <laughs> That's right. It doesn't mean he's fat. No, it means you're beautiful. All the fat on him means he's fat. Okay. <laughs> Don't go just by his face. He's <laughs> not fat. 
I'll be honest, um, especially the first time I saw the movie, uh, everything leading up to the dinner, all that stuff I found really boring. I did not think it was particularly written well, and I just thought it was dull, and I got worried. Even every time I watch it, it just doesn't quite click with me. But it does. There does seem to be a little bit of a disconnect, doesn't there? Yeah, it's like I like all the sibling rivalry stuff, and I like all the actors, but I don't. I guess just maybe the dialogue just wasn't. It seems like it's that dialogue that tries to be that tries to sound natural and relatable, but in a way that makes it super not natural sounding. I don't know how to describe it, but it just wasn't. It felt really phony to me. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. It's definitely not going to win any Academy Awards for its acting. Oh, absolutely not. Mm -mm. Now, after everyone arrives and settles down, they gather for a large family dinner. Thanks to mom and dad for having us all here together. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Um, So, Tyreek, what do you do? Uh, I'm a filmmaker. Is that right? Yeah, he's really oh, good. Oh, I don't think I know any filmmakers. That is so It's not a lot of us out there. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I've only made... I, I've Not on TV. I've only made one documentary. It was at the Cleveland Underground Film Festival, 2008. What is an underground film festival? Do they show them movies underground? No, no, no. no. They show them above ground, but no. they... It's really intellectual. They show intellectual well, Like an intellectual film festival. I just think, do you do commercials? Because those are my favorite. No. Mm-mm, no. No, he doesn't do commercials. Really? I just think that is just the height of the art form these days. It is just short and punchy. You really got to just zing the ideas on in there. That's why I, I watch TV so, these days. That's why I watch. I mean, it's better than the shows now. Well, he makes documentaries, so... It's different. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think that I've seen documentary commercials. I don't think they have to be limited to any particular thing. It's not a, you know, I mean, the starving artist thing just never made sense to me. I just think you should consider it, Tyree. Sure. So, Aaron, are you still in school? Um, yes, I am. I'm in my final year. I'm finishing my master's. That's great. In what? Good for you. In literature. Wow. So, were you a student of Crispin's? I was. But I'm not anymore. Not anymore. She was my TA, but we stopped because we figured that that was inappropriate. It's a little unprofessional. What? What's that? What you just said. What was that? About what? You said it's unprofessional. Is there something else you wanted to say to me? No, I was just agreeing with you. You weren't agreeing with me. I was. I mean, what he? I thought he said it was. Don't look at her. I'm right here. Crispin. What? We're having a dinner here. I'm having a conversation with my brother. Is there something that you want to say? Because I feel like... What do you... I don't know what you I want. I don't think that you're in any position to be judging my moral Who decisions. says I'm judging you? You are with your eyes. Oh, I'm tired of it. Conversation. The whole time you you've been here, you're kneeling me, and I'm not putting up with it anymore. Oh, I'm tired of it. You are so... Jealous of me. I'm jealous of you. Boys, I'm, you know what? I'm glad that this is coming. I'm jealous of you. I'm jealous of you. Ever since you're he's the one that's shouting. Always. What have I done? Who have I been jealous of? You're so funny to me. You're so funny during an argument at dinner, the family is attacked by unseen assailants outside who fire crossbow bolts through the windows, killing Tariq and wounding Drake. As the family takes cover and tries to call the police, they discover that all of their cell phones are jammed. 
Now, the initial attack on the house is pretty abrupt and out of left field. Um, how did you guys feel getting thrown into the chaos? Did it catch you off guard? Did it shock you? Or did it just kind of seem pretty basic? I don't want to say it caught me off guard because, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we sort of knew something was going to happen. But I guess I thought it was pretty cool that it does just sort of go from this sibling rivalry argument to just this sort of horrific action that really doesn't let up much from this point on. I agree with that. Now, how about you, Becky? Yeah, same. Um, I thought it, it was, you know, kind of well done that it was kind of thrown in amongst all of the, the chaos. And I thought it was interesting that it was uh, the boyfriend that goes to the window. So, you know, not a family member, but kind of just getting away from um, all of that chaos if he notices something outside. Right. Um, and it did make me jump that bit. It was definitely kind of a, a visceral scare. I think as well, it's quite interesting when you kind of know the whole story, how Erin is, the, you know, notices that something is wrong. She's the one that kind of picks up on it. Having been bored kind of through that first uh, 10, 15 minutes or so, uh, I was kind of nodding off. So when that chaos started, it really kind of caught me off guard. And like you said, Lucard, it just never lets you go. I thought it was such a great kind of running start to it all. And yeah, that's sort of what I, I meant by kind of the disconnect between the beginning and the rest of the film, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, and I, I totally get what they were trying to do, establish the characters and everything, but, I mean, it really, it almost feels like uh, two different films in a way. Exactly. And I, I think not only is this where I think it, it just gets more tense, and I think the action is really awesome, and it... I really like the characters more, I guess, or I feel a bit more connected to them in a way and in, in what and their story that kind of unfolds. But I thought the movie also got funnier. I did. I don't think starting off the movie is particularly funny, but at this point, I think it's really funny. I think it really plays on that sibling rivalry really well. Like that bit where you got uh, Joe Swanberg on the ground and he's got the arrow in his back and he's he's in pain and he's bleeding out and their cell phones are jammed and Felix goes. Oh, they must be using a, a cell phone jammer. You can get those online for like 30 bucks, but they're <laughs> illegal. And and his, and his brother goes, Felix, you fucking lowlife. He's got the arrow in his back. Like shit like that was so funny to me. I thought it was perfect and exactly what that kind of stuff needed. I felt like the film really needed that to uh, instead of just being a siege film. I thought it added another dimension to it. Now, did you guys like the humor to this? I liked it, but I, I wonder if the humor perhaps didn't resonate with a lot of audiences because as horror fans we get it right yeah but i i just i wonder if it was kind of maybe lost on some people that's a good point i would kind of agree with that because i think all of the humor for me was the kind of spoof on meta moments yeah it was the same for me too yeah, i'd agree with that now in an attempt to escape the house and get help amy the sister she runs out the front door but directly into a garret wire, which slits her throat, killing her. The death of Amy disturbs and panics Aubrey so much that her husband Paul decides to bring her up to the room to calm her down. After Paul leaves the room, a man in a fox mask crawls out from under the bed and kills Aubrey. A masked man also tries to kill Aaron, but is unsuccessful, becoming wounded in the process. The rest of the family runs upstairs to find Aubrey's dead body in bed, with the words, you're next, written on the wall above her. Paul is distraught, so the family brings him downstairs. Now, after encountering the same masked man, Kelly panics and rushes out 
uh, rushes out of the house to uh, the neighboring home from the film's beginning, where she finds the two dead bodies. She encounters another masked man and is killed. And it, what I really like no, about these these kind of segments, uh, now that we've moved past the tension and the comedy, I feel like when it really gets to a lot of the creepier stuff, it's also really effective in that front. Now, how did you guys feel about that, especially the death of Kelly? Now, I'm trying to remember, is Kelly the one that sort of tries to run out like a marathon runner? No, 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 that's Amy. Ah, okay, see, I found that part kind of hilarious and just ridiculous. For me, the humor really started after this scene, because I think, like you say, Kelly's death is quite brutal. I know there have been, you know, those elements of, of you know, humor kind of uh, peppered throughout the, the beginning section. All of the kills in that are quite creepy. I mean, like the mother's um, death, Aubrey, uh, you know, the fact that the, the masked killer is under the bed and the way like he kind of pulls himself out, I thought was really scary. Yeah, and yeah, it's a good moment. Was, yeah, and, I mean, she screams when, um, you know, she's literally being killed and everybody's only downstairs. And in the time it takes him to get upstairs, oh my God, person, yeah. they've written your next on the wall in blood and managed to get out. Right. That was I was bit, thinking that too. Yeah, a little bit strange. I didn't get the whole thing with, with the you're next, with the writing on the walls. Because they do the same thing in the beginning uh, very quickly. And in I just didn't... When you find out their motivations, the whole you're next thing just doesn't really make sense. I get it. It's a it's, Hey, it's a fun thing to name a slasher movie. And it's a cool little thing to have in your slasher movie. But in this particular movie, I didn't really get it. That seemed like that was a starting point, And then the movie kind of evolved to something smarter. But they wanted to keep the title, so they just kind of had that in there. Maybe they were doing that to try to throw the police off, because they did mention they wanted to make it look like a home invasion. Um, but I don't know, maybe I'm giving them too much credit. No, I mean, that's a good point. That's, that's a good point. That was how I read it. That's the only sense I could kind of make of it, because it's kind of like a different film, like you said. You know, like they started out with a really cool title, and... Um, you know, your next it seems like a completely different film in terms of a slasher, but I think it's, right. we have to mention here in the <laughs> in the group chat when we were discussing the episode with Anthony. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> he referred to the film as what was it? Who's next? <laughs> Who's next? Which would is such a perfect sequel title to this. Yep, <laughs> definitely make it happen, guys. <laughs> so soon after, Crispin escapes. So he he successfully escapes and runs for help. Becky, that's your favorite guy right there. Yes, I love him. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, See, it's funny because you didn't care for him much, and and I was totally, I mean, uh, without giving anything away, like I I really thought he was just this super nice guy. He's kind of a schmuck. Yeah, well, indeed. He's not like a douchebag or nothing, but he's just kind of a... He takes a lot of shit, I guess. That's why I think later on when he has the argument at the table, I like that moment. I like him kind of snapping back. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it seemed like maybe his brothers had always sort of, like, trampled all over him. That's sort of the impression I got. Yeah, I do love it. the a be- douchebag. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> no, he is, though. He is, I'm sorry. Right from the beginning, there's just something about him. I don't know what it is, but he just, it's little glances here and there. And as soon as, like, the shit starts to hit the fan and Mm -hmm. Erin takes control, because straight away she's the one saying, this is what we need to do. You know, getting all the family out of that initial room, using chairs to, you know, in case anything's come through the window. You know, she's, she's, 
I'll make this point later on, but in terms of, you know, a slasher and a final girl, she's not reactive, she's proactive. And I think that's the kind of twist yeah. and the, the evolution to her character that I absolutely adore, which I just can't understand why she's with him. And the little glances he gives really, you know, something off about him. But then he says to her at one point, you know, I've never seen you like this. Mm-hmm. And yes. it's just, he's just a sleazy, horrible thing. I hate him. Sorry. <laughs> that was like the first glance I got that he might not be who I thought when he was like, I've never seen you like this. And then of course he just like, you know, runs off and pretty much leaves his girlfriend to deal with everything. Yeah. You know, obviously. I, but we'll talk more about that. Yeah. <laughs> I think the reason I, I didn't mind him that much is because earlier on, they established that his family is really kind of a bunch of, there are really a bunch of fucking like douchebags, especially uh, Joe Swanberg and even his dad where he's telling, it was some like, like award or something he was up for. And he didn't win it, uh, the Crispin. And he said, well, I wish I could remember the exact quote. And he says, I don't have this certain thing. And his his dad says, well, there's plenty of people without that who still win the award. And he looks at him like, you son of a bitch. Yeah, no, 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 like, and because he's an academic, and I can completely relate to to that kind of. Oh, really? You know, trying to get funding, you know, and trying to explain to, like, family who don't quite understand. But, like... I understand his struggle as an academic is what I'm saying, but yeah, that that's a really shitty thing for his dad to say. You definitely got the impression that they were sort of this upper class, rich white family. Very hoity toity. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, she's the guy who owns his own like giant cabin in the middle of nowhere. Now at this point in the film, Aaron seems to have become the leader of the group, showing a surprising amount of survival smarts. As she gets everyone together and collects some weapons, one of the masked men smashes her through the window. He attempts to kill Aaron, but Aaron Aaron kills the fuck out of this guy. And yes. it's awesome. It's really uh, earlier we see her kind of doing cool stuff, but this is this is the first time we really see her just smash a dude to bits. And it's awesome. Elsewhere in the house, Paul he journeys through the upstairs, uh, discovering some evidence that suggests that, that the killers have been camping out in their home for days. Now, as Paul tries to explain what he's found to Felix and Z, one of the masked men kills him. And then this is where we find out that the masked men are actually working for Felix and Z in an attempt to kill off their family members for inheritance money. Really? You had to do that right in front of me? Are you saying something? Yeah, you know what? Never mind. By this point in the film... I had sort of figured out that someone in the family was behind this. Had, did you guys sort of feel that way, or when it, were you kind of caught off guard by this? When it got revealed, it was one of those reveals where I felt stupid that I didn't see it coming. Like, when you look at it, it's like, okay, yeah, it's kind of obvious, but I'll be honest, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I saw it. So apparently yeah. I'm just a fucking idiot. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, there's plenty of movies where that happens to me. I'm like, man, I... I should have seen that coming, you know? Yeah, exactly the same. I just felt that this was very obvious in its setup. Um, Personally, for me, like, intentionally obvious, but just kind of going back to that scene where Erin kills the the intruder, that's, like, my favourite scene, I think, of the whole film, and that's when you really get the humour, because um, that's when Felix and Z are watching her, and they do absolutely nothing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, um... The comments made about um, Crispin, and 
you know, he says, oh, I'm sure he's fine. You know, he's, he's, a, he's strong. And she's like, he's not. Yeah. And I love that. Like I'm saying, this whole kind of new, like, you know, her as a protagonist in the slasher, as, as a fan of girl, whatever, like the whole twist on it, how she is the strong one. And like I say, she's proactive. She's not reactive. Um, you know, she knows exactly what she's doing to take care of herself. And she actually says to the other two, you know, thanks for your help there. <laughs> Which right. really made me laugh. So downstairs, Aaron and Drake encounter another masked man. Uh, Aaron wounds him, and he retreats out the front door. And I actually have a question. I know we just kind of touched on it. So what did you guys think of Aaron? Did you buy her as someone who, and not even just the character, but also the actress, Sharni Vinson? Did you buy her as somebody who could kick that amount of ass, or did it feel too staged or forced or edited, stuff like that? I totally bought it, like 100%. She, uh, I mean, she just totally sold it for me. And I, I knew eventually we were going to figure out why she was able to just sort of like, you know, defend herself like this. But obviously, uh, she had had like military training or something. That's sort of what I, I gathered. Don't mess with her. She's certainly <laughs> not a, a typical final girl. I did buy it as well, okay. obviously. <laughs> yeah, like I say, I absolutely love her. Because it was weird for me because I had... At this point, seeing her in the um, in the Step Up movies, and so this was a completely different role for me to kind of see her in. And I, she isn't in all the. I think she's just in a couple of them. I think like four, four and five or something. But so, so seeing the Step Up actress kind of kick ass in this was really cool. And I like the idea of. I really love uh, female protagonists in movies, especially when they're doing when they're kicking ass. I don't, I, it, and not done in like the way that like scarlet witches or no i'm sorry not scarlet witch a black widow and like the avengers movies where every like fight move she does is like a different pose i like just seeing what i really liked about aaron is that she's not like built or anything but she's not getting into like born supremacy fights like i really bought the way that she was taking out these guys with these weapons it was smart and it was really cool at the same time i really liked that yeah, it definitely wasn't done in sort of a superhero kind of heroine. Yeah, she way, wasn't you know? like uh, killing people like she was at a photo shoot. There wasn't a yes. there wasn't a lot of posturing. <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, I mean, in fact, she gets quite beat up as the movie goes along. I mean, I would imagine that even shooting this was uh, pretty brutal. Oh, you I know, bet. yeah. I'm, I'm sure she went through a lot of stuff. Um, I don't know if there's any sort of like feature like behind the scenes sort of thing but yeah she's tough no doubt about that what happened one of them came in and attacked us I stabbed him and he ran away Come on. you stabbed him yep you think you might have killed him no he ran out the door was there upstairs we didn't find anyone whoever was there could have climbed out the window is dead okay yeah he just needed to lie down. How many of them do you think there are? There'd have to be at least two more of them. Maybe, maybe they're gone. Maybe you scared them off. Let's not count on that. So after Felix tells Drake about his dead wife, because at this point, Drake isn't aware that his wife Kelly has been killed earlier. Um, Felix tells him, and then Felix stabs and kills Drake. Now, while Felix deals with Drake downstairs, Aaron goes upstairs and discovers Paul's dead body. A masked man finds her, but Aaron quickly escapes by jumping out a window. Question, now, what did it... 
I thought it was a really cool kind of uh, reflexer jumping out the window. But I did you guys buy her being able to jump out the window and then get up and run away? I took that as a kind of clear reference to uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Sally jumping out of the Sally Hardesty jumping out of the window um, in in the first film. Uh yeah, you know I huh. didn't even think about Neither that, but I. I I really think you're right there. Yeah, because uh, I'm even thinking about the way that the, that that shot is particularly like edited together and filmed, and you know what that makes a lot of sense. I could that makes yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it takes a hell of a lot to kind of jump. I mean, she is injured, isn't she? When she when yeah. she yeah. out, you know, it's pretty gross when she's pulling that you know um, glass out of her leg. But I I think if you take into account that the reasoning for her survivalist skills, then. Um, Yes, but it is it is quite a Hollywood scene in in an otherwise very kind of like you say realistic um, home invasion narrative. It, you know, even though she, like you say she's fighting back, it's all very realistic. It's all very you know seemingly natural, and she basically utilizes any weapon she has around her, and you know, in a very realistic way. Right. So she does jump through the glass, right? Yeah. Okay. See that? Yeah. I, that always that's a big pet peeve of mine in movies. I hate when I see people jump through windows and through glass, and they're just like basically fine. Because I mean, when I, I always think back to where I, I heard about, I was reading a news story, and it was about this uh, guy who robbed a convenience store or a bank or something, and he jumped. He tried to he Batman his way out of there when the cops got there. He jumps through the window. And he makes it about 10 feet down the block before he bleeds to death because of all the glass that cut him. So when I see people, especially like action heroes and stuff, jump through these glass windows and kind of walk away, that's a big pet peeve of mine. I guess I've seen so many like 80s action movies and Hong Kong movies. Yeah, I'll let that go in the 80s. I'm talking about more movies today. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just don't think a lot about it. The only reason it caught me off guard is just because it did seem sort of out of place but now that you know you mentioned it kind of hearkening back to texas chainsaw massacre yeah i mean I, I definitely see them sort of paying homage to that film which you know that's really pretty cool that they did that as she tries to sit down in the woods and kind of regain her posture um another masked man finds her and tries to kill her but she retreats back to the house and hides. Uh, now, as Aaron hides, she overhears a conversation between the killers and Felix, revealing his plan. So she's up. To, she's caught up with everything now. She knows what's going on. And eventually, they find Aaron. They chase her around the house, inside and out. And once she's lost them, Aaron manages to kill one of the masked men, giving her the chance to refortify the house and set up some new traps. Now, while Z and Felix search out in the woods. The final masked man returns to the house where Aaron leads him to the basement and once again kills him, leaving only Z, Z and Felix left. Z and Felix return to the house and duke it out with Aaron, who kills them both. Now, how awesome was that fight scene in the kitchen? It was really cool, man. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I love when we get that kind of turn from Aaron when she kind of kills the first intruder and the right. from that. But this is just amazing i mean the blender to the head oh it's so good <laughs> i remember just cheering the, the first time i saw that it's so cool <laughs> yeah. and i mean the, the guy is such a, a dirt bag you know you just you're hoping he's gonna get his throughout yeah at least the, the second <laughs> half of the movie right 
Oh, uh, I want to go back for a second just to when he kills his own brother. I mean, like, in a way, it was it was funny because, you know, his brother wouldn't die. In fact, he says something like, why won't you die? Yeah. You know, but but I was just I think that's why I hated this guy so much, like to actually to not just betray your entire family, but then to kill your own brother like that, man, that's just really horrible. Yeah, his brother was kind of a douchebag, too, though. Yeah, like, well, they they certainly all were. <laughs> I love when they're basically just, like, shitting on Ty West at the kitchen table, and they're talking about, like, TV commercials and stuff. Like, I think yeah. that's hysterical. And it's also kind of a realistic kind of family giving somebody's friend or boyfriend shit without actually directly making fun of them. It's that kind of passive way of kind of making fun of somebody. And it's funny that there isn't really one member of the household, I think, that, that's a nice person. Yeah, they all sort of deserved what they got, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. I guess maybe the mother, she was... Oh, she was, like, just neurotic, wasn't she? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to use. Yeah, neurotic. She was kind of fucking crazy. Maybe the dad, out of them all. Yeah, he Even was... Even he was kind of a, a little... douche, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was yeah, a little he snobbish. Yeah, he said that, didn't he? You know, no, no. I mean, and the girl as well, because that was a little bit unbelievable. You know, the, the daughter was like... There was one comment from one of the brothers about her not being able to do something. Or, you know, I don't know, something um, negative. And she's like, I can prove myself. I'm going to do it. And when she runs out of the, the house. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, when they're saying that that we should run outside, who's the fastest? <laughs> and, and she's like, no, we just need to stay in here. And she's like, nobody believes in me. <laughs> and they're, and that, yeah, they're all saying that to her and trying to make her feel better. We do, we do. And it's like, you know, there are people trying to kill you. And, yeah, you know, the dad's like, no, honey, we believe in you. you can do it. <laughs> yes, that part was hilarious. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's not hilarious what happens to her, but like the whole part leading up to that, that you know, yeah, a little bit, but I'm also like, (laughs) fucked up. So (laughs) it it was funny in sort of a morbid kind of black comedy sort of way, you know? And I think it's just the, the latex like neck that they show that looks so fake, but I love it. It did look fake, but I I thought that it's sort of like worked with the. The tone. I mean, there's other stuff that looks really brutal in the film, though. Oh, yeah, like when Kelly gets the axe to the head. That looks great. Not only is that a cool scene, but the uh, the look of the axe in her face, I, it didn't really look like a dummy to me. I thought, I thought it looked really cool. Now, after the battle in the kitchen is over and Aaron is the lone survivor in the house, Felix's phone begins to ring. Aaron picks it up to find out that it's Crispin, who was also in on the plan with Felix and Z, and the masked men. Thinking that everyone is dead, Crispin returns to the house to find Aaron alive. As he explains the plan to Aaron, she kills him. Where's Felix? I stuck a blender in his head and killed him. Oh. Okay. I can't believe you were in on this. <sighs> Come on, babe. You do know how broke we are, right? You would have killed me. No. That was never supposed to happen. Even if you hadn't meant to kill me, you must have known I could have died. No. You were supposed to be the witness. A person with a clean record that could attest that our family and neighbors had been murdered by unknown lunatics. It was, in fact, a very important part of my plan that you be unharmed. We needed someone with no motive to see what had happened here. Someone other than Z, obviously. Where is Z? 
killed her too. Ah. Totally understand. Listen. I'm sorry things got so out of control. But, um... How are we supposed to know that you were really good at killing people? Which is actually sort of weird, by the way. Had you reacted um, normally, my parents and siblings would have been killed. You'd have been untouched. And we'd be rich. We'd be on our way to, like, a vacation in Paris. Maybe an engagement? There is a silver lining here, by the way. I'm now the sole inheritor of my family's estate. We're talking millions, babe. You, me, us. Look, regardless of our current situation or whatever we're going through right now, it would be insane to throw that away. I mean, look at all that would be wasted. I understand it might take a while to make this up to you. But in the meantime, let's think about this logically. I know you've got your student loans. How would $500,000 go towards fixing that problem? You could quit your bartending job, just study full time. You know you hate that job. You could have 500,000 within a month Or I go to jail and you get nothing. Hey, I love you. I promised you that I'd come back, didn't I? think about this twist did you see it coming because i know me personally i'll be honest i at that point in the movie i kind of forgot about crispin so when that happened i was like oh shit i forgot he was even a part of this yeah i feel like the film did a really good job of sort of distracting making you you do kind of forget that he's gone for a long period of time and it wasn't until right before that phone call where i realized like oh he's still alive right i was just happy that my douchebag theory was correct. <laughs> you didn't cry. No. You were like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then like that, he got his. Yeah, and that whole um, kind of scene between Erin and him, where he's just talking and the bullshit he's coming out with. Right. And like, yeah. Oh, it's just you know, I know everybody's had bad relationships, and I'm the same. But the stuff he was saying, I was just sitting there thinking, oh, you know. He's right. kind of turning everything around on her. Like, I did this for us, you know. But I was like, oh, really? It was, it was just a really clever um, scene. All the dialogue was coming from him. She wasn't really saying anything. Yeah, I love the way they did that. I was just thinking, like, oh, like, don't turn around. Because if you do, he's going to try to off you, too. Right. And obviously, she didn't fall into that typical movie trope of, you know, 
trusting him and like turning around. Uh, and I mean, I think even if she had turned around, like she was so awesome, she probably would have just like, you know, done some sort of like super karate kick and kicked him through the window. But, you know, um, she didn't fall for it, which was cool. Just like you put me through this hell. And I, I mean, I really think he probably expected her to die. Yeah. And then, like I say, he spouts all of the, all of his crap and as if she's going to, you know, believe him. Um, and right. the one the one thing I really didn't understand is that they did all this to get the, the obviously the inheritance money and split it between them. But surely they would have inherited money eventually anyway. But I don't maybe like they wanted everything right then. Obviously they didn't want their siblings to, to share it, but it just didn't seem the most um plausible kind of motivation. I think because... that they were broke, the kids. Because I know Crispin, he specifically he says, Do you know how broke we are? And I so but... I just assumed Felix was in the same position. Yeah, no, totally. And like I say, you know, obviously they wanted all of the inheritance, not just what they would have, you know, received eventually, and they wanted it now. But I mean, if your parents are that rich, why, you know, he says he says to her, you know, we're millionaires now or whatever. Why couldn't they just ask their parents for help? Yeah, I had thought about that as well. Like, it, I mean, the only thing I could think is maybe their parents were the type of people who were just like, you go out and you earn it yourself. We're not going to give you anything. But having said that, the parents didn't seem like those type of people to me. Like, I didn't get that vibe off them at all. Really? Because I I saw it as because uh, in the beginning of the film, we see them really giving Crispin a lot of shit. And so I thought him begging for money would have just been uh, – even if they were to do it, it would have been just another thing for them to guilt him for and to put him down for because it, we really get the sense that his family puts him down a lot. And so that's why I, I saw that he said, fuck it. I'm, let's just kill them and take the money. Yeah, and I, I can see that as well. Like obviously you get that whole um... – I mean, this family is just, I mean, you say dysfunctional, but they just literally don't know each other. So, you know, I, I can totally kind of read that into it. But I just, like I say, his whole um, reason and his nature was just so ugh, slimy. And then she stabs him in the neck. And as he's kind of, you know, looking at her, he says, why? And she just says to him, why the fuck not? Which does make me laugh. <laughs> I was surprised by the next scene, though, when the, the cop right after that shoots her and you know that really caught me off guard mm -hmm. did it catch you guys off guard too it definitely did yeah no absolutely and it scared me at first because you're rooting for her so much i was like don't pull this bullshit at the ending where you just killed the main character because i hate when horror movies do that yeah i thought she was dead i really did yeah, because I saw that he shot her in the shoulder, so I kind of thought, oh, you know, there's kind of going to be a bit more to it. But that was just after as well. After stabbing um, Crispin in the neck, she then sticks, I don't know, it's a screwdriver or whatever, through his eye. Yeah. I was like, that is pretty brutal. Yeah. <laughs> now, as the cop walks into the house, he sets off one of her traps that she had set earlier and is killed as we just smashed cut to credits and that glorious song plays. Did you both um, watch the kind of end credit sequence right to the end? Uh, I did not realize that there was a post-credit scene. Uh, perhaps, no, I didn't either. Me neither, but just kind of researching, having a quick look. Um, 
apparently the credits reveal that Erin ultimately survived her wounds and is investigated for her killings. Oh, right, because during the credits they have, like, uh, uh, evidence stuff and newspaper articles, right? Over the names and stuff? I didn't didn't watch the the end credits. Oh, okay. So this is just something you read? Yeah, so apparently, unless it's like an alternative bit, kind of. No, I know what you mean. No, that makes sense. Because uh, during the closing credits, I always notice that uh, the credits are kind of over these, like, uh, newspaper articles and, like, police evidence stuff, kind of just in the background over the names and stuff. And I always wondered if there was something back there that revealed anything, but I, I never dug around and, and looked at it. No, but, I mean, that's quite sad if she's investigated after all of that. But, um... Right. I must admit, I really did appreciate the... You know the the explanation for her kind of skills, this the survivalist element yeah. of the story, and like, um, have you both seen um, the show Doomsday Preppers? No, I haven't. But that sounds like an interesting show. Just you... being a fan of Walking Dead. Oh my god, you need to watch it. It's hilarious. Um, it's basically just profiles um, preppers, are you know survivalists who are basically preparing to survive any specific situation that they deem you know will um cause the end of civilization basically and it you know it goes from volcanic eruptions to um economic collapse to um electromagnetic pulse um attacks to uh, you know polar shifts (laughs) it's it's fantastic wow and basically they will reveal their plan um, you know, they, they'll be taking lessons in, you know, kind of combat training to spending 20 hours a week. Um, what's the term where you put food in jars so it lasts uh, longer and um, all sorts, you know, they're planned for if they're on the move, if they're going to stay in their apartment. It's basically kind of like um, Max Brooks' book, you know, the zombie apocalypse book, but applied to various different situations it's hilarious and at the end of the show they get a rating at how successful they would be you know what their kind of likelihood would be to survive if anything happened in that particular situation but some people as you can imagine are just completely bonkers you know what i kind of want to see that sequel now with with uh, her adventures in prison like i want to see her on the next season of uh, orange is the new black Oh, yeah, that would be great. I feel like it would be like the beginning of The Raid 2, where he fights all the guys in the bathroom. I, mean, I just imagine it would be like that. Just taking out everybody? Exactly. That who's I would, think, I would see who's that. Next? Yep, who's next? Make it happen, guys. Come on, Hollywood. Oh, yeah, she like she like kills a chick in the courtyard, and she says, who's next? That'd be you need awesome. to write this script, Mike. Yes. All of a sudden, then Adam Winger, and he'd look at him and be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Okay, so I guess we should move on to the ratings now. Um, Becky, I'll let you start off with that. Okay, so, yes, I think that the film for me would probably be a seven. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought that it was, um, like we've discussed, it wasn't as as meta as a resolution, but I love those elements uh, within it, and I thought they provided a lot of humour. Um, you know, I really did laugh out loud at some of the scenes. And, you know, the, the turning point for me really was the fact that you have a final girl who is, um, like I said, an evolution of that kind of character and just basically kicks ass. Um, and I think that 
even though that the plot itself I, I kind of guessed what was going to happen quite quickly but I think a lot of that was intentional in terms of the spoof and the meta elements it was entertaining throughout and um you know right up until the end and I'm glad uh you know it didn't end with her dying because that would have been a real kind of travesty so I think yeah I'm gonna be at seven right on now uh how about you Lucarne I really like this film I think I'm at about um I'm gonna give it a 7.5 close to an eight I mean I know it has some flaws but every film does and I feel like this is one of those films that you're gonna enjoy just kind of kicking back on the couch you know it can be a popcorn flick uh, but it has a lot of really great slasher elements in it, too. And I was also a huge fan of the main character, the the final girl just standing up and kicking ass and taking names. That was really well done. Also, I really like the creepy animal masks yeah. that the uh, assailants wear. And I think the, the home invasion concept is pretty cool because, as you mentioned, you know, the director saying that was really scary to him i find that pretty scary too uh i don't think it's it's really done in a an extremely frightening way but i don't know some of the stuff is uh is a little chilling i guess you would say so yeah i would definitely check this one out at least give it a rental i'm gonna give this an uh an eight out of ten i really think that it it starts out slow it definitely does i was bored with it at first and i wasn't really getting into the characters but when it kicks off, it really gets going fast. I think it's laugh out loud hysterical, even the fifth, sixth time I watch it. Uh, I love the kills. I love the throwback to 80s slashers without just being, without uh, wink, wink, and nudge, nudging you in, in the uh, chest enough to like bruise you. I think it's still its own thing. It's still um, a really cool kind of evolution of the genre, just as much as it is a throwback. I think it's a total blast, and I, I love showing it to people who, whatever the reason is that they love it, some different reasons, some same reasons, that they really dig it. And uh, I totally love it, and I can't wait to watch it again whenever I do. This It's just a total blast of a film. It's dark, uh, while at the same time it has that lightness, it has that funness to it, and it's everything I love in, in not only genre, I mean, not only slasher genre films, but in modern-day horror films. Up next, we have another great TV terror segment from our good friend Anthony Rotolo. This week, he is covering Cabin by the Lake. Well, hi, folks. This is Anthony back with more TV Terror. Today, I'd like to tell you about a horror comedy from the year 2000 called Cabin by the Lake. This is a made-for-cable film starring Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson, you know, from The Breakfast Club, but he's also in a telefilm that I have a guilty affinity for called The Lost Voyage, in which he stars opposite the great Lance Henriksen. But I digress. Here, he's a Hollywood screenwriter named Stanley, and he's on the hook for a script. We're introduced to him at his home on the water somewhere in the vicinity of Los Angeles. It's a cabin by the lake, to be precise, and that's where his agent reaches him by phone and corners him on the whereabouts of his script when we first meet him. Stanley, what's the holdup? I'm doing research. The damn film is going into production. What kind of research? 
Well, I've kidnapped a girl and I'm holding her hostage to learn bits of character and motivation. What character? What motivation? It's a dead teenager movie. He slices. He kills naked teenagers. He doesn't slice. He drowns them. Whatever. Just get to work. Okay. I'll drown the girl. I love that. I love that. That is good. Call me. Of course, his agent thinks he's being playfully facetious with all that business about his research. But as we learn in short order, there's been a spate of missing persons in the town surrounding the lake, and Stanley's at the bottom of it. You see, he may be deranged, but it's all in the service of his art. Each of his victims is a case study in fear. Yes, he traps women, he holds them in a special soundproof room behind a false wall in his cabin, where he feeds them and does their laundry, but he also studies them. He explores their fear response, and that informs the characters in his script. And when he's done with them, he plants them in his garden. I'm surrounding that word with air quotes. His special aquatic garden at the bottom of the lake, where he dons his scuba gear every day to visit with his lovelies and tend them like flowers. One day, while taking in a movie at the local cinema, he meets Mallory played by Hetty Barres from If These Walls Could Talk. She's the girl behind the concession stand, and he's so impressed with her that he decides to wait until she closes up shop before abducting her in his van and bringing her back to his lair to be his next character study. But he's met his match in Mallory. Through a stroke of incredible luck, Mallory is rescued from the bottom of the lake by scuba divers after Stanley throws her off of his boat to die. But they're not just scuba divers, they're a group of special effect makeup artists, and after a brief recovery, Mallory enlists their help, hatching a plan to create a full-sized replica of herself, which they'll plant in Stanley's garden in an elaborate scheme to catch the serial-killing scribe. Sound absolutely ludicrous? It is, but it's all in service of a film that doesn't take itself seriously in the least. It's a cheeky little film that is self-aware of its genre tropes and designed for maximum fun. If you like movies like Tucker and Dale vs. Evil and that whole silly scary category, you'll enjoy this USA film, which features quality acting and production values and even spawned a sequel. Have you seen it? That's Cabin by the Lake from the year 2000. As always, huge thanks to Anthony for that TV terror segment. So this is yet another one to add to my ever-growing watch list. Thanks again, Anthony, and we look forward to more TV terror and hopefully to having you on the podcast as well in the near future. Okay, Very so cool. uh, we'll move on to the feedback now. First up, we have some audio feedback about the very movie we just covered, Your Next, from Matt. Take it away, Matt. Greetings UNH listeners, this is Matt from London. Today's show is about the 2011 film You're Next by Adam Wingard. I have actually seen this film before, um, a couple of years ago I think, and the director's name did seem familiar so I thought I'd check out where else I know him from. Um, And as it turns out, a few years ago I I had also uh, started to watch A Horrible Way to Die from 2010. Um, However, I I can't remember why but I didn't finish it so that's probably one I need to uh, revisit. 
Um, then I also watched uh, VHS uh, from 2012, and uh, Adam Wingard directed the Tape 65 section, um, which is basically the framing narrative uh, where you have this gang who enter um, an abandoned house. They're offered some money to enter this abandoned house to retrieve a a VHS cassette. And uh, when they uh, get into the house, they actually discover uh, a whole load of VHS tapes. Um, It's been a while, but I I remember finding the whole thing pretty creepy. Um, There's a dead guy in a chair, or is he dead? Uh, There's a strange figure moving around the basement and so on. Um, the next one of his that I saw was, uh, well, his segment in the ABCs of death and also from 2012, um, he did the segment, uh, Q is for quack. Uh, from what I remember, it was quite dark, quite funny. Um, you could definitely tell it was a similar director to, uh, to, to your next. Uh, and basically it's actually starring Adam Wingard himself as himself and another guy, um, and they are film directors, they are themselves, and they're arguing over what they could do uh, for the letter Q in the film. Um, I won't give anything away, but basically things don't go quite to plan, but then when do they ever uh, in horror movies? Uh, the last film of his that I've seen is the one that we uh, are talking about tonight, and that's 2011's Your Next, uh, which I'll come on to in a moment. Uh, in terms of films of his that I haven't yet seen, uh, probably the one that I would like to see next is The Guest from 2014. I've I've heard some good things about this, um, so I would like to check that one out. He also has some upcoming projects which have piqued my interest. Um, I'm a big fan of the original South Korean film, I Saw the Devil from 2010, and, you know, although I'm generally not that keen on remakes, um, in the right hand, it could be uh he could do a good job so um yeah let's see what he does with that uh, i'm also a fan of uh, a sort of casual fan of anime and manga um, and i'm pretty excited to hear that he's involved in a live action version of death note death note is a japanese manga and anime series uh, it certainly has an interesting concept uh, it's about a supernatural notebook that grants its user the ability to kill anyone whose name and face they know and who they uh, write in the book Um, And I've watched some of the first season and I found it pretty enjoyable. However, what I'm really excited about is that he's penned to direct an episode of the new upcoming TV series, Outcast, which is based on the fantastic comic book series of the same name. And for those of you who've not come across it yet before, uh, it's written by Robert Kirkman, who created The Walking Dead. Uh, And if that's not enough to get you excited, uh, then I don't know what is. But I can tell you that it is a violent supernatural horror series featuring lots of demonic possession rather than zombies. What more do I need to say? Go and read it. It's awesome. Anyway, so what about your next, or as I would have called it, who's left? Well, I found it to be a darkly comic home siege horror. There's nothing here that particularly pushes any boundaries, but what it does do, it does well. It has a truly creepy atmosphere, and the attackers in animal masks are particularly effective, especially when glimpsed as reflections in glass or slowly rising up out from under a bed. The violence and gore is plentiful, and I found myself half cringing, half cheering at some of the scenes. There's one scene in particular involving a food mixer which comes to mind. See what I did there? Anyone for a smoothie? And on that slightly humorous note, this is definitely one to watch with a few like-minded friends after having had a couple of beers. I think that would increase the enjoyment factor tenfold. That's not to say that it's not fun to watch on your own, but I did find myself wishing at times there was someone else here to high-five. 
the acting was, for the most part, fine, but nothing to shout home about. Although Erin was a great protagonist, a real badass, and I let out a little cheer when I saw Barbara Crampton. On the subjects of actors, a number of them have been in other Adam Wingard films, including A.J. Bowen, who played Crispian, who was in The Guest, and Joe Swanberg, who was in A Horrible Way to Die and VHS. And the clever ones among you may have realised that Tariq, the unfortunate boyfriend of Amy, was actually played by none other than Ty West, who has directed some other films that I really like, The House of the Devil, The Innkeepers and The Sacrament. And keeping it nice and meta, his character in the movie was also a, a filmmaker, which was pretty cool. Um, the story did keep me guessing quite a little bit. It was kind of like an Agatha Christie whodunit at times, trying to guess what were the true nature of the attacks and who was ultimately responsible. And in terms of genre influences, there was plenty of them there, playing for all to see, from iconic slashers to Evil Dare to pretty much every other horror movie with a depressing twist ending. Um, for some reason, the little-known slasher classic Intruder from 1989 springs to mind here. Um, there was even an homage to uh, 80s montage scenes uh, replete with Carpenter-esque synth music. Um, this was all going on while Erin was building a, a booby trap. And on a, on a side note, actually, if you ever do get a chance to watch um, Intruder from 1989, have a look out for a young Sam Raimi, uh, who's one of the main characters, and also a cool cameo from the best chin in Hollywood, Bruce Campbell himself. So all in all, I found uh, Your Next really enjoyable. Uh, it has plenty of dark, uh, dripping atmosphere, shocking inventive kills, and a particularly enjoyable leading lady who bucked the usual trend of damsel in distress. Um, I would give this movie a solid 7 out of 10. Back over to you guys. Thanks very much to Matt. As always, really great feedback. And uh, Matt, I, I think you're totally on point with this. And uh, we totally agree, score-wise. Also, I really enjoyed your tidbits about the director. I feel like you uh, really filled in some gaps there that we probably missed earlier. And it's very exciting that the director of Your Next is potentially involved in the Death Note film. I know you and I have talked about various anime subjects and manga subjects before, and um, I'm definitely excited about a Western adaptation of Death Note. I think that... That's going to be really cool. So thanks again to Matt in London. And Matt, we definitely hope to speak with you again live on air in the near future. So once again, we have some awesome feedback from people on this film. Uh, we'll start off with uh, Kieran Fisher. He says, it was a huge disappointment for me. I appreciated the, the meta element and how they flipped genre tropes such as the unexpected action, heroine, survival skills of the final girl. I also like the human element of the home invaders. They weren't your typical horror villains that were driven by psychotic urges to murder or because they were angry about their childhood. They were criminals with motive. Uh, furthermore, I liked how mean-spirited it was, even though the humor did nothing for me. Uh, I felt underwhelmed both times I've watched it, which sucks because it could have been great. That being said, Barrett and Wingard have impressed me with every other project they've been attached to that I've seen, and this is hardly a dud. Just a little bit, uh, just a little bit meh. To Kieran, very cool. Mm -hmm. I can agree with some of the meh, you know, and like particularly the start, as we discussed, it is a bit meh. But I do think that once it picks up, it does a really good job. Like, and this is a film I would rewatch, like you mentioned, Mike. Mm -hmm. um, I think I would just probably skip the beginning and go straight to all the crazy home invasion over-the-top action. I'm just kind of 
add to his point as well um, about the um, the killers that that human element you have you know they're they're masked they're obviously being paid to do a job but when one of them um, is talking to Felix uh, you know he says I've had to just kill my my brother I'm paying you to do this and he says uh, you know the the guy the masked invader says you know that dead compass over there that's my brother and unlike you I liked him <laughs> it's really clever dialogue so I quite liked you didn't kind of get too much about the the um the killers but it was just a nice kind of touch like like Karen said to that kind of human element yeah I actually I really have to agree with Karen on the because it's something we didn't mention in, in uh talking about the film is that yeah the uh the murderers are really more than just your typical slashers I I liked that realistic motive and actually one of the slashers was played by the writer simon barrett he's one of them and oh really yeah, yeah. He, wow. yeah he plays the one whose brother dies oh wow he actually did a really good job yeah and yeah you get these actors who are very good at, at fulfilling these roles and yeah i thought that was a really cool kind of twist of, on it as well and i'm really curious to see if me and karen will ever agree on a movie because between this and blair witch too I, I don't know <laughs> me and him can agree <laughs> on cloverfield there we go Yes, I, there you yeah, go. I can't wait to have Karen on the show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Well, next up we have Dan Stout, and I believe he's replying to Karen here. Yes. And he says, that's interesting. I really enjoy the film, and for all the same reasons that Kieran listed, meta elements, inverted tropes, grounded villains, it seems like we like the same aspects of it, but for some reason the pieces didn't come together for you. It might just boil down to personal preference. I haven't enjoyed the other Wingard Barrett productions I've seen, but I adore your next. As always, thanks very much to Dan for his comments. And yeah, I mean, as we've said before, the great thing about the UNH community is, it, you know, it's getting larger and we have all these varying opinions. I think it's really cool that the conversations on our Facebook group are really civil yeah, so, that's a word I'd use, uh, definitely, civil. Yeah, you know, uh, it's not like other places that uh, are horror-related groups on Facebook. It's weird. Yeah, it's I'm not used to I it. I very much appreciate it. Yeah, it definitely has sort of a, um, a horror etc. feel, in my opinion. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Andrew Rooney has said, Sorry to a film festival here in Auckland, New Zealand. It was a party horror crowd and one of the only times I've been in a sim- cinema where people were cheering along. While I do enjoy the film on this level, I also enjoy it as a genuine tension-filled and gory home invasion slasher. The opening scene was nasty and there were some shocking moments. No one is safe in a Wingard film, which is refreshing. I do love the idea of turning the final girl up to 11 and just taking the brakes right off. We did call the twist early on, though, but hey, that's fine. The films of Wingard, for me, have shown a steady evolution, and I like all of them culminating in the film of the year, question mark, for 2014, The Guest. Can't wait to see what this guy has in store next. I agree with The Guest, by the way. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 no. Thanks to Andrew, and I completely agree with him there. Yeah, I actually, um, (laughs) yeah, I I actually, in the beginning of, of this last year, uh, a buddy of mine, we just did a podcast just on the side, just uh, for shits and giggles, and we did a uh, top ten. How dare you? What? You're cheating on us. 
<laughs> hey, this was hey, this was way before you guys. Oh, okay. This, this was before UNH came into existence. Yeah, over a year anything. ago. That's right. <laughs> I swear. It's in, it's in the past now. And one of the episodes we did was a top 10 best and worst films of 2014. And the guy who I did the show with, his number one was the guest. Yeah, I think it was my number six or seven, but yeah, it was his number. He was his best film of the year, and I I absolutely adore that film. I I love that film so much. I wish we could put it on this show, but it's not quite a horror movie. Is it like an action movie? Because I haven't seen. Yeah, this, so I know a lot of people years. mention it in horror kind of conversations, but I I would say it's an action movie. It's an action thriller for sure. That's yeah. what it this is why. We need to do UNH action zone. I'm so down to do that. I, I'm so down for that. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to schedule it soon. Uh, as soon as things lighten up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We could do it just like once a month or something. Yeah, exactly. Like a bonus episode, mm-hmm. maybe. Yes. Along with our other bonus episode. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which we won't talk about on air yet. Oh, it's special. <laughs> but it will happen. Right. It's very yes. special. It is. Oh, yes. Indeed. <laughs> It's going to be the best episode of UNH ever. Oh, yeah. You get to see me in true form. (laughs) And me in sleepy form. (laughs) Well, thanks again to everybody who uh, contributed to the feedback this week. Uh, I always love hearing from the audience and what they have to say because they always have something really cool and intelligent to say, which is awesome. As you said, it's a very civil group of people. Yeah, we've got some of the best horror fans in the world. Absolutely. Definitely encourage all our listeners to come by. And for all you lurkers there in the group who don't contribute a lot, we would really love for you to send in an email or something. We'd love to hear even your smallest comments. It would be awesome. Yeah, definitely. Just reach out. Yeah, don't be shy. We like, we're kind of fucking weird, but, like, we're okay. <laughs> we don't bite hard. <laughs> so next up, uh, we have this week's podcast recommendation. This week, um, we have another recommended podcast, and it is The Hysteria Continues. Have either of you listened to this? Uh, No, not yet. I haven't. I need to add it to my uh, list of horror podcasts, which is now really uh, kind of consuming my podcast library. (laughs) It's pretty awesome, um, just because of the recommendations we've been doing. Yeah, and like I, I love kind of doing that and, you know, giving a shout out because I listen to so many personally that it's always great to have, um, you know, a new one recommended that has been kind of tried and tested by, um, you know, fellow kind of horror lovers. And um, because uh, I think a podcast as well with a lot of shows, depending on the format and, um, you know, the, the kind of rapport and everything between the hosts, it can take a while to get into some of them. I think, and you know, there are so many ones that kind of aren't quite, don't you know, don't quite make the cut for me personally. So it, it, you know, it's great to be able to discuss in the Facebook group. And I know that Dan Stout, um, also a member of the the Facebook group, has a list, and we've mentioned that before. And we have that link, I think, on the website as well. Um, so that's that always worth, yeah. So that's always worth checking out um, for any kind of new ones. And they're not just horror. He, he lists, you know, all different types of kind of genre podcasts. But The Hysteria Continues, I um, chose that for this week because it is a focused podcast that's dedicated to the slasher film. And it's actually from the creators of the website Hysteria Lives. Um, and the tagline for that is slasher trash with panache since 1998. And I love it. Right <laughs> that's on. a great title. <laughs> 
and it's a great online source um, for reviews and articles on on the subject. It looks at both slashers and jelly, um, as we have discussed, you know, because of the relationship between the two kind of subgenres um, from 1950 onwards. And it's a roundtable format. And of all the podcasts I listen to, it's probably the most similar to ours in terms of the international focus, because there are two um, hosts from the UK and two American hosts. And um, y'all know I love my accents. So we have one of the UK hosts is um, Irish and he's um, Eric. He's absolutely hilarious. There's a lot of humor because they all have a great rapport. Um, But he's, Sounds like I can't remember his name from Bridesmaids, um, the Irish actor Chris. Something. Oh, Chris, uh, Chris O'Dowd. He sounds just like him, so I could listen to him talk. That's for awesome. <laughs> and then um, one of the American hosts, because um, I know that Lucard is always talking about his southern accent. He is so southern. Again, I could listen to him talk forever. He's got an amazing accent, uh, Nathan. What? He's more southern than me. <laughs> he sounds like that. Oh my goodness, y'all! <laughs> he literally sounds like that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it really is. So, um, like us, they start off with a what you've been watching section, and they also have like. They stole it um, from us. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. <laughs> Actually, we probably stole it from them since they've been going since, what, 98? <laughs> <laughs> but they um, insert um, things like quizzes, and they um, quiz each other, which can be quite hilarious on whatever topic they're, they're covering. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we'll maybe you could think we should steal that. <laughs> um, and. They cover the classics and the obscure, basically, you know, from Psycho to Texas Chainsaw Massacre to Tenebrae, Blood Rage, Bloody Moon, Terror at Red Wolf Inn. So, you know, if you're a slasher fan and you're not already kind of listening, then definitely get on this. And I think, and I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but initially this was recommended to me by Andrew Rooney. So thank you to him. Right on. Very cool. Mike, it sounds like a podcast that's tailor-made for you since you're our slasher guy. Absolutely. I got a... A lot of these podcasts that say I really want to listen to them and then I I just never get around to it but because I just don't have time, but I I might go out of my way to actually start listening to this one. That sounds really awesome and right up my alley for sure. To close out the episode, let's wrap everything up. Next week, we're going to be talking about a Chinese ghost story. And um, yeah, I know nothing about that. So we would love to hear your thoughts on this week's topic or anything else horror related. Please email your messages in MP3 or WAV format to United Nations of Horror at gmail.com or drop us a line at this address. Also, you can call in and leave us a voicemail now with your comments, which is really cool. Um, Fancy. Yeah, tell us any tell us any other podcast who does that. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that phone number is 404-480-2545. Again, that's 404-480-2545. Let the number 99 cents a minute. Oh, right on. Let, yeah. I didn't know that. All, I was going to let that one slide go to under. Age. <laughs> no it's free you call as us we, as we should have yeah. <laughs> yeah seriously it is free so please guys call us and uh and leave us voicemails we definitely want to hear from you and we want to put it in the show mm-hmm. and when they ask for your credit card number that's just for uh identification purposes we don't charge uh, yes yeah. yes definitely of course not um you can trust us yeah. <laughs> really yeah trust us we're strangers on the internet yeah <laughs> <laughs> and when you call in make sure let the number ring a few times and you will be taken to the voicemail please be sure to leave your name and where you're calling from. And of course, head over uh, to our website for all the latest podcast information, articles, and reviews at 
unitednationsofhorror.com. Also, be sure yes. to join our Facebook group, www.facebook.com slash groups slash UN of Horror. Got to mention, uh, Mike, your reviews over on unitednationsofhorror.com. Oh, really good stuff. And also, uh, you're now reviewing on That's Not Current, right? Yes, I am. And I'll actually, I, I think next week I have four reviews going up there. That's not current blog.wordpress.com. There you go. So definitely be sure to head over there and check out some of uh, Mike's written content. And I'm also going to be doing more articles, which I'm very much looking forward to getting back into writing because it's uh, something I was very passionate about at one point and sort of just it slipped under the radar for a while. Yes, and also um, recently, and this is a big thanks to you, Becky. I, I'm also going to be writing articles over at SQ Magazine, so I'll be posting stuff in the Facebook group as that happens. Yeah, that's very exciting, and I hope that Lucad might join us over there as well. Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah, we'll also give them a link as well. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of cool stuff over there. Yeah. So big thanks to Luke Gard and Becky for joining me today. This was a lot of fun. And until next time, you've been listening to the United Nations of Horror.